can't get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me are... David Hardwar And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Today what we're going to be doing on this podcast is talking about what we've been watching recently. We're going to talk about some film news, which you can find at SlashFilm.com. We have a Slash Film Court where we're going to adjudicate a movie-related dilemma. And then we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week we'll be reviewing Ridley Scott's newest film, Alien Covenant. Alien Covenant, I forget, did you, any of you guys have this on your top 10 of, uh, of the year uh, for a summer movie wager, by any chance? I believe I had it at number 9. I see. Uh, well, Jeff, I'm sorry to say, <laughs> based on current projections, uh, Alien Covenant is going to struggle to get to $100 million domestic. So, yeah, I thought probably, it was doing really well at the beginning. It, it, it had a great Friday, and as uh, someone who tweeted at me put it, uh, the legs fell right off that thing. Like <laughs> It was very front-loaded. A lot of people went to see it Friday. And they did not go on Saturday and Sunday, so yeah, it only made around $35 million, uh, over the weekend, which means it's probably going to make around $100 million. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe, uh, maybe it'll come back. Uh, I'd love to, uh, to swap Wonder Woman right in there if I could. Yeah, that would be a good decision, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, I'm, I'm just, I wish I could be there to see your face. <laughs> when we see how much money Wonder Woman makes over the, do you really weekend. think it's going to crush? I, I'm not so sure. I mean, I, it's getting great buzz right now. Um, I, I'm hopeful that it, it does great. I'm rooting for it. For it is sure. going to crush, Chef. Yeah. it is going like, to be. It is going to make. I'm going to put it out there like seventy to eighty million dollars. Uh-huh. If the a bad week. DC movie can do tremendously, like imagine what a good one could do. Guys. <laughs> yeah, the early buzz on Wonder Woman isn't that strong. So, anyway, uh, before we get into today's show, got a couple of announcements. Firstly, uh, I am using a new microphone today. I upgraded my my podcast microphone. I'm, I'm using an Audio Technica BP40. I was using a Rode podcast before. Really love that mic. Served me well. That's why he sounds like Morgan Freeman now. That's right. Trying a new microphone. Uh, and hoping that it will cut down on some background noise, cut down on some digital artifacts and that kind of thing. Nice. So uh, let me know what you guys think. You know, if you guys, uh, people who are listening, if they think it's better, if they think it's worse, I'm totally open to any feedback you may have on it. So yeah. How, how close is your mouth to the It's about two inches now. away from the top of the microphone right now. Compared so. to before? It's, it's about the same. It's the same. Really? Um, but yeah, this, really close before. this microphone needs uh, phantom power. Mm. Uh, which the other microphone did not need. And so that's a significant... It's basically like another failure point, like another thing you can mess up, you know? The other mic I had was USB, which is a lot more convenient. Um, so it, we'll see. Uh, the, the mic is an Audio-Technica BP40. Let me know what you guys think of it. If you guys don't like it, totally open to any feedback. And you can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. You can also find more episodes of the show at slashfilmcast.com. One other thing I wanted to mention, uh, I am starting a new job in June, 
and uh, I'm very excited about it, and I'll have more to say about it in the weeks to come. But as a result of that, I'm trying to cram in a lot of living before June 5th. You know, <laughs> Jeff Kanata, when you uh, had a baby, did you guys like do a baby moon, which is something I've heard people do? They go on some yes. trip or adventure. We um, tried to. It was it was it was rough. Uh, I got deathly ill during our baby moon i remember that yeah where did yeah. you go again like what, what we went to uh there's a, a place in ojai that's like a famous not famous but a, a renowned hotel that's nice for relaxation and we had a weekend planned i i gave us I, I bought us like a food tour thing and we had to cancel it all because i got horribly ill and i was throwing up and it was oh terrible my god sorry yeah. well i'm glad i brought that up um, but, uh, <laughs> sorry about that, Jeff. Uh, anyway, so trying to do a bunch of stuff before my new job begins, and that's going to take up uh, you know most of my time when I start it. Uh, one of those things is trying to film another one of Stephen Tobolowsky's stories. Uh, longtime listeners of the uh, listeners of the show know that I host a podcast with Stephen called The Tobolowsky Files, where he tells stories about his life. Um, that show is uh, airing right now. We have new episodes at TobolowskyFiles.com, uh, but. Uh, you, you know, Stephen's also a very gifted live uh, in-person performer, and uh, you know, I wanted to bring that to life with uh, stuff I've made, such as the Primary Instinct, the movie I directed with him in it. Now, the Primary Instinct cost about sixty thousand dollars to make, and we shot it in this big, gorgeous theater, the Moore Theater, uh, and it just it takes a lot of time and effort and planning with that much money involved and that many people involved. And so I am trying something different in that I'm going to try to film one of his stories, but uh, with a significantly smaller budget, like less than a tenth the budget of The Primary Instinct. I'm going to do it with a tiny crew with just a few people and do it in a very small theater called The White Fire in Los Angeles. This event is open to the public, and I would love it if Slash from Cast listeners uh, would show up. Now, it is during a challenging day and time. May 28th, the heart of Memorial Day weekend, this Sunday. Uh, and it is going to be at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, but if you are interested at all in seeing Stephen Tobolowsky live, doing some storytelling, in meeting me in person, uh, and you live in the Los Angeles area, just go to filmingtobo.com. That's filming. Tobo.com. I've created an Eventbrite event. You can RSVP. We are doing it on a first-come, first-served basis. So that means that uh, we'll, we're going to start seating people at 1.30 p.m. We're going to fill it up, and then we're going to close it at 2. I have no idea how many people are going to come. Maybe 100, maybe 10, maybe 3. Like I have no idea. Uh, but hopefully some of you have time this Sunday, May 28th at 2 p.m. to come to the White Fire Theater uh, in Sherman Oaks, California. Again, go to filmingtobo.com. You can start lining up at one o'clock. I, I, I just I wish I could tell you more like when you needed to show up to secure a spot for yourself. Um, but yeah, we will open doors at one thirty p.m. and uh, start the show promptly at two p.m. and we will film it so you might be on camera in the next Tobo thing that's released online. So filmingtobo.com uh, is where you can RSVP for this event and hope to see some of you there this Sunday, May twenty eighth, at the White Fire Theater in Los Angeles. All right. Uh, so all that said, why don't we? 
start with what we've been watching this week. Um, you know, we've been watching Twin Peaks, Devendra and I have, and Devendra, you'll talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get to that, I just want to mention real quickly that uh, I had a chance to see The Big Sick at the Seattle International uh, Film Festival. So jealous. I'm so excited for that. Yeah, this is a new movie uh, written by Kumail Nanjiani and Emily Gordon, directed by Michael Showalter. Showalter. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani stars as himself in the movie uh, about how he fell in love with someone in the United States in a land far away from where he came from. And as an immigrant myself, uh, this movie really meant a lot to me. I thought it was hilarious, but it's told from a different perspective that we don't usually see in romantic comedies. And he captured a lot of aspects of the immigrant experience that I thought were pretty fascinating. Here's one of, I'll just name one of them for starters, uh, which is that as someone who immigrated to this country, as someone who's an Asian American who has Asian parents, it's, it's a very odd thing to be kind of trapped between two worlds where your parents came to this country seeking a better life for you and for them, uh, but they also have a bunch of rules and ways of life that are ingrained from their uh, previous home. And so they want you to kind of adhere to those rules, but at the same time, you're in America. You, you don't need to adhere to those rules. You know, in America, people behave differently and uh, they have different rules here and they have different customs here. And you want, you know, as an immigrant, you want to assimilate. You want to become part of the culture. You don't want to be different. Um, and so highlighting that tension is one of many things that The Big Sick does really, really well. Uh, and I thought it was a perfect opening night film for the Seattle International Film Festival. Interestingly, the uh, film festival this year feels very, very diverse. Like there's so many films, you know, around 400 films from many, many different countries. And I was at the opening night f- ceremony and it really feels like the festival organizers this year are using the festival to make a political statement that uh, we welcome in Seattle. We welcome voices of all different kinds from all different walks of life, from all different races and ethnicities and sexual orientations and uh, and it just was so encouraging to see all that on opening night, to see them talk about that, and to see how art can be used as a force for good in this world. Not to say it's going to be like as impactful as going out there and doing advocacy or anything like that, but it just the, the fact that we're welcoming these voices to the table uh, really meant a lot to me. Uh, and so it, beyond the movie The Big Sick just being a great film, just seeing it in the context of the Seattle International Film Festival is very heartening to me, and uh, I really appreciate it. So... That's a big sick. Uh, I think it's going to be out later this summer uh, in theaters, and it's an Amazon Studios pickup. So, yeah, June 23rd, 2017 is the release date. Uh, my guess is we might review it here on the Slash Filmcast. We'll see. I'd uh, like to. Yeah. But uh, it's on Am- it's a Amazon Studios distribu- uh, distributor, so that means that, like, uh, at some point, it's going to show up uh, on Amazon Prime for you to watch, but that might not be for another year or so. Anyway. That's what I've been watching. Uh, Devendra, you really want to talk about Twin Peaks, The Return, right? Yeah. The, is it The Return or The Revival? It's called, it's called Twin Peaks, The Revival on the Showtime app, I think. Huh. Um, but yeah, guys, it is, it is so good. Like that, That's all I'm going to say. I spent the past couple of weeks uh, catching up and rewatching the series with my wife. And um, she had never seen it before. I saw it a long, long time ago, so I barely remembered much. Um, and yeah, the show is good. Like, it's great. You can totally see how it influenced so much of TV. I think the second half of season two is not good. 
it's it's pretty bad. You could tell like the moment when David Lynch left and they were just kind of left like fumbling and trying to figure out a plot and everything. Um, but I also rewatched Fire Walk With Me, which is the prequel movie that David Lynch did a couple years after the show ended. And uh, I I really like that thing. Um, I remember a lot of the early critics uh, at the time just hated it. And it's kind of gained a reputation as being kind of a downside for the franchise. Uh, personally, I think it kind of redeemed the show uh, or at least the series after where season two went. Like, a, it, it was just kind of a mess. And the movie is so interesting. It is basically a horror film. It's more like a domestic horror film. So I think it does lack some of the charm and uh, funny bits from the series that people may have expected. But uh, it's so good, so well-written, so well-acted, more of a focus on Laura Palmer. And I think actually seeing her uh, living rather than just being a corpse that everybody kind of responds to or some sort of weird dream sequence, like seeing her and her motivations and actually turns her into a character that I really appreciated. So Firewalk With Me, if you haven't seen it in a while, definitely watch that. And David Lynch did say that uh, that movie is very important um, going into these new episodes. I'm not going to say much about them, except they're very, very good. Like I was expecting them to be, you know, fine, like hoping that he would – uh kind of get his groove back uh but they are astonishingly great and there are there are elements in there um it, it continues directly from where the series left off so if you remember certain things including that final shot of twin peaks which is incredible and has stayed with me for a long time um you kind of would have a sense of what's going on but seeing some of that stuff seeing like kyle mclaughlin just being an amazing actor, as we always knew, and seeing how well used he is here. Uh, he was in The Good Wife recently, and I loved him there, but he always felt like a version of Dale Cooper in The Good Wife. Whereas here, there's a lot more going on. Um, there are new characters. There's new mysteries. Um, there's one element that feels so X-Files that I just kind of love. And it reminds me of just how much the show was, you know, basically influenced the X-Files. Um, I do wonder if we'll see David Duchovny coming back because he was in the original series. Not many people remember that. Uh, there's all sorts of new people in the cast. Uh, just so many surprises. I think what was great going into these new episodes is that, um, you know, we just really didn't know anything. And this kind of goes to your philosophy, Jeff. And this is definitely a series where knowing very little, just being surprised and like going on the journey is a big part of it. Uh, a lot of it is the sort of like David Lynch, um, I don't know, fuck you moments. Like there's four <laughs> minutes of a guy unloading shovels from a truck. <laughs> That's all it is. That's all it is. But you know who that guy is because it's a character you saw before. And you're like, oh, what's, what's going on here? He's, he's piling up some shovels. That's interesting. Um, but the show also sets up some new mysteries and kind of continues some stuff uh, from the original series. Um I, I'm really down with everything, and there, just the, just the imagery, just the the like talent that David Lynch um, has. Like he he hasn't lost anything. There are some shots here. Um, one, one thing I will say, like there are shots of New York. That's all I'll say. And there are shots of the New York nighttime skyline, and you've seen that image thousands of times, right? You you've seen it so much, and the way it's framed, the way it's kind of shot. Um, it's so creepy. It's so weird. It is exactly what David Lynch does to everything. And I kind of love that we have the series coming back. He's going to direct all of them. Uh, I think he's co-writing all the episodes, too, or at least most of them. Uh, it just feels like we're in good hands. This is great television, guys. Like, this is great enigmatic television. Uh, this is something I feel like um, what uh, No Holly is trying to do with Legion and with Fargo, except this is a master at work. 
and it's fantastic. So if you want to see these new episodes, you have to watch all of Twin Peaks. Like that's that's this isn't a choice. You have to watch it. That's how it works. And you need to see the movie too. And if you haven't, it's it's not very long. You know, it's uh, it's two seasons. Uh, the first season is also not even a very long season. Um, there may be some guides that tell you which episodes to skip too, because I think there is a good chunk of the second half of Twin Peaks that you could just like give up on. Uh, the finale is kind of the big important one there. Um, but yeah, it is incredible. Just glad to see David Lynch kind of has this opportunity uh, to tell the story again. And uh, yeah, it, it could have gone so badly, except this is, seems to be wonderful so far. Yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I disagree with every single thing you said, but I would, <laughs> I would caveat a bunch of it. Uh, I would caveat most of it and say, so I've been rewatching the entirety of Twin Peaks for this other uh, podcast I'm doing, PeaksTV.com with John Robinson, and so I had to plow through all of the back catalog of Twin Peaks, including Fire Walk with me, yeah. uh, in the last two weeks. And which, which, by the way, let me just say, not the best way to watch Twin Peaks. <laughs> I think people are going to do that, but this is a show where you kind of have to watch it and not understand it and let your brain kind of work on it for a week. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with you that this is a suboptimal way of watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I liked the new uh, episodes. You know, I thought that they were uh, surprisingly grounded. Uh, and... David Lynch hasn't made a movie in, in like a decade. And so he was able to convince Showtime to give him complete creative control, a significant budget. He had dozens, uh, over 200 actors, I think, come back for this, uh, some of whom are very well respected. And he could have done anything. He could have just gone out there and given us the weirdest, most bizarre, mm-hmm. incoherent thing ever. Uh, and he didn't. Like, it's surprise. Like, there's a bunch of Lynchian uh, moments in uh, the new season, Twin Peaks: The Return, but it is not. Uh, it doesn't go completely all out there with the surrealism and the bizarreness. Uh, there are a lot of those moments, but it just it's still surprisingly grounded. At least the first two episodes, where I've seen three episodes so far. Uh, but uh, in terms of the original series, I mean. It's just a very, very odd show. It's not for everyone. Uh, and it <laughs> Did starts, you like it, Dave? You, you know, uh, we talked recently about American <laughs> Gods and how I really didn't like that show uh-huh. and, because it felt very masturbatory to me and a lot of uh, incredibly ponderous slow shots and ultra slow motion and this bizarre imagery. All, all those things, by the way, describe Twin Peaks as well. But I think the reason I like Twin Peaks more is I just feel like it's so far beyond anything else that we're seeing on TV. Like, there, there is nothing else that is paced like this show, that looks like this show, that has plotting like this show on TV right now. Um, whereas American Gods feels like it's trying to be something else that's uh, more slick and better, exe- more tightly executed to me. Where, you know, David Lynch is just operating in his own mm-hmm. kind of ballpark, in his own universe, I should say, uh, in terms of of what he's creating. It's, it's, it's beyond uh, it's, it's novelty and how distinct it is and how different it is uh, makes it impressive to me and worth admiring compared to another show like American Gods. Uh, I've been struggling a lot with like, why did I hate American Gods so much, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. We're all struggling here, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that it's so uh, his talent with imagery, creating imagery that is incredibly nightmarish and disquieting Mm -hmm. David Lynch. I'm talking about, uh, he uses things like slow motion and costuming and production design and combines them in ways that really deeply upset me. 
You know, horrifying imagery that just yeah. really troubles me and gets under my skin in a way that no one else can. Um, so I, I think that this new season is – you'll be completely lost. A lot of people have asked, should, should I watch the new season if uh, I haven't seen the original series? I think you'll be completely lost if you have not yep. seen the original series. The, the show as a baseline is already very difficult to understand. Uh, and if you haven't seen the original series, it's just going to be completely incomprehensible. So – uh, all that being said, even if you have, it's still very challenging to understand what's going on in the new season. Uh, and I have no confidence that we'll actually get any answers to these questions by the end of the season. <laughs> so uh, I'm enjoying the new season for what it is as this really remarkable experiment with a great auteur uh, who has been given a vast amount of resources to create something incredibly weird. Uh, and so... I'm, I'm liking it for that reason, and I'll be recapping it at PeaksTV.com. Now, Jeff, you uh, mentioned that on Twitter that you have not seen any Twin Peaks. You have not watched any X-Files. Do you feel like you're missing out? Do you feel a lot of people talking about this? Like, what's your perception of the news? Yeah. Show? Do you feel a pull to it? Uh, I don't feel a pull to it. I, I, you know, it, I have that FOMO instinct that makes me want to have an opinion about what everybody else has an opinion about. But this is one of those instances where I'm sort of – learning to let myself be okay with being on the outside looking in um because it's it's it, you don't have to you don't have to be a part of everything <laughs> mm-hmm. and this was just never my thing i i really do I, as much as you say david that you know you can watch it now and ca- catch up and be a part of it I, I think this is one of those things where you had to be there then and for whatever reason i wasn't i just i remember it happening around me. I remember people having Twin Peaks watching parties and X-Files watching parties. And I just was never interested. I just, it just never tickled me in that way. I never, whatever was going on with me, I wasn't, I was busy doing something else. And, um, and that's okay. I remember I watched Firewalk with me because I think I was working at a movie theater when it came out and I was like, I have no idea what this is about. Um, (laughs) And I could I couldn't even tell you. All I could tell you is like who done it because that was the big question, and I remember mm-hmm. finding out. But um, yeah, I mean, Firewalk with me uh, certainly in its time, and even arguably now, is not regarded as a great film. I've seen on Twitter a lot recently. Oh my gosh! When I first saw Firewalk mm-hmm. with me, I thought it was terrible. Now it's one of my favorite Lynch films. I've seen that sentiment a lot yeah. uh, in the last couple of weeks. I, I could go either way on it. I mean, it's very, very similar to Twin Peaks, the series, except it's rated R so that he can show some of the brutality and the violence that he couldn't in the series. And so there is a lot of interesting element. It, it extends the themes of the series. But I can also understand people who think that movie is a complete disaster. I mean, it's, it, I don't think it's a very good movie if you're not kind of into the world of Twin Peaks. Right. Um, so. I mean, it, it is made to be a prequel, right? So yeah. I do. I, I went back and read some of those original reviews. Like the New York Times, I think, was referencing it as like, it may not be the worst movie ever made, but it sure feels like it. And I, you know, after rewatching the thing, that movie is horrifying, guys. Like, I, it, it is not like, yeah, I can understand if you were expecting, oh man, coffee and pie. Yeah, all, all the fun, like, weirdness of Twin Peaks. There is some of that in there. Uh, but the movie is about a girl who's slowly being destroyed. And who's slowly going insane. It's sort of like if The Shining was set in suburbia. 
Um, oh, yeah, and just that's seeing a, that's a good analogy. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I don't think it's just what people were expecting. I think it's just structurally the movie is very challenging. You know, it's not a conventional thriller in any way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, so. it it changes things up. Like it starts off with the first act that introduces a couple of people you've never seen before, including Kiefer Sutherland uh, in a great like dorky role. And I love Kiefer Sutherland in dorky roles, so that's kind of fun. Um, but it's yeah, it's that's it's what I'm weird. Saying. It introduces Kiefer Sutherland. That plot goes nowhere. Like we would not accept that in a regular movie, is what I'm saying. So, I get that. It, so, don't say it doesn't go anywhere though. Like I'm not going to spoil too much about that. I guess, but that directly leads it. Like it does yeah. connect. Yeah, it, 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 it's certainly. not like it's just there and for no reason. Like these things all connect. Um, to what you're saying though, Jeff. Like there is a sense that you missed out on the original Twin Peaks. Like all of that happening. Uh, what I'm saying is if any of this sounds interesting to you, you have a chance to catch up and kind of be a part of this moment. And I think this moment is really interesting, just seeing how people are reacting to it, seeing how people talk about it. Um, I think it's worth it if you're that type of TV viewer. OK, I, I, I think that's fair. I, I I kind of feel like this is akin to something like Fuller House, where if you didn't watch Full House when you were young, then <laughs> – Fuller House does nothing for you. I, I don't you don't, don't want to watch all anyone. the episodes of Full House to catch up, Jeff? Like, <laughs> it's, there's no it's, – it's made for a very specific person and I, and I don't think that person is me and that's fine. I, I, you know, I do think it's fascinating to see. I, I'm excited for the fervor and yeah, the fervor, excuse me, of, <laughs> of uh, the moment and I'm excited for all the people that do – that are emotionally invested in this universe – uh, because it could – and it sounds like it's done well, like he did a good job. It, it could totally have not worked, right? It, in yes. fact, yes. the odds were that it wouldn't. It, yeah. it really feel, felt more like a um, Arrested Development type situation, which we're getting more Arrested Developments too, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I, everything doesn't have to be for me and I, I feel like there are these weird geek blind spots that I have, Doctor Who, X-Files, Twin Peaks um, – Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Those, for whatever reason, I just didn't do those when they were happening. And I have tried with some of them to sort of make it happen retroactively. And it just, you have to, I feel like there's some things like that where you have to ride the crest and you can't, at least for me, I I have a hard time like catching up. Yeah. And also, I mean, just so you guys know, like for me, getting into Twin Peaks, this is me saying, like, I'm going to challenge. Myself, David Chen. Like uh, I, I was a that, little worried about you. Yeah, Dave. that I have certain like going preferences. I have certain preferences for what I like to see in my TV shows, and my movies, uh, and Twin Peaks really doesn't fulfill any of the things that I generally like. Um, but <laughs> I do find David Lynch's work very disquieting. I find it very creepy and upsetting. And I, anytime anyone can make me feel something, I appreciate that. And so, uh, so for that reason, I wanted to take on this, you know, Peaks TV TV recap podcast because it's like okay i'm gonna have to rewatch twin peaks i'm gonna have to try try to endure something that i don't usually like but that a lot of people love and see how it feels and for the most part i've, I've enjoyed it i mean i i find a lot to appreciate mm-hmm. about the original series i'm really digging this new season uh, I, I find it continues a lot of the aspects from from the old season but what's also interesting is we now have this huge tv recap culture of which i am actually a part <laughs> and it, it dissects, you know, all the elements of uh, TV shows and the plot points. And it expects that the creators are going to be game with that, that they'll do interviews and explain what's going on. 
And uh, Lynch just doesn't give a crap about any of that stuff. Which is he great. Doesn't, he doesn't care about yeah. the plot making any sense. He's, he's less about intricate plot machinations, and he's more about mood and feel and about saying something about humanity, and specifically like small-town America uh, in, in this case, certainly with Mulholland Drive mm-hmm. as well. This, this idea that underneath the surface, there's something deeper and darker lurking there that uh, is pure evil. And uh, I, I like how Twin Peaks brings that to life. So it's not something that I thought was for me. I still think it's probably not for me. I think a lot of people will be turned off by Twin Peaks uh, who are just discovering it now. Uh, but it, it, it is one of the biggest television events of the year. I mean, nothing – I can't recall a single t- thing, you know, time like something mm-hmm. like this has happened. Maybe Arrest Development was another one that was kind of – Not, not to this degree. Maybe The X-Files coming back just because that had a much wider audience. Right. But yeah. I think – like a very specific thing, like not just this is like, you know, Stanley Cooper coming back and doing something, you know, a, a direct continuation of one of his most beloved things. Uh, this is an auteur coming in to do something incredible and well, knocking the, out the, the length of it, too, is 18 yeah. episodes. You and know? He's directing all of them. He's directing he hasn't made a movie in 11 years, man. Right. Yeah. So it's uh, it's just the scope of it is beyond the other revivals that we talked about, like Fuller House mm-hmm. or Arrest Development or or The X-Files, which I think was only, I want to say, six episodes or something like that. Like, yeah, it was, it was very short. short. Yeah. So anyway, Twin Peaks, The Return, it's on Showtime right now, the first four episodes. Uh, and you can also watch episodes three and four this Sunday. So, all right. That's what we've been watching this week. Let's talk about some film news, gentlemen. A few film news items we want to mention. Uh, according to Arnold Schwarzenegger, guys... Terminator's coming back with Arnold Schwarzenegger in one of the main roles. Uh, and there have been a lot of uh, discussions about whether this franchise will relaunch again. Uh, it looks like Paramount is not interested in doing something after Terminator to Genesis. But the sequel, or the rights, I should say, revert back to James Cameron in 2018. And Cameron is interested in working with Arnold again. So this is the, him as in a producer role. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And evidently he has the idea for what the sequel will be. Yes. So which is uh you know I up until that little tidbit I was skeptical but James Cameron being involved I don't yeah. know, man. That I mean, this good. is the same James Cameron that did Avatar, right? So, yeah. Exactly. I bet exactly, that's thinking, Dave. Yo, Jimmy C, can we connect this to the Avatar universe somehow, please? <laughs> yeah, I'll be blue. Oh nice. man! So are are you excited? You're excited for this, Jeff, because of Cameron's involvement. I I don't know if I would use the word excited. <laughs> I am certainly intrigued. I would love to see what this turns into. I mean, I think if there's anybody that can save the Terminator franchise, it would be James Cameron, the guy who created the Terminator franchise. So, uh, you know, I, I I have high hopes that mm-hmm. I, I don't. It's been a long time since a Terminator movie has been excellent. And it, coincidentally, the last time was when James Cameron directed a Terminator. So uh, that's you know that's my hope. Uh, Devendra, are you? Yeah, yeah. I, I think just having Cameron involved makes it a little more intriguing. But otherwise, I, I yeah, I don't care about anything else happening in Terminator. It is uh, so it's Tim Miller. I think they have on doing this. So the Deadpool guy. I do kind of wish like if uh, you know if it was coming back, like let's let's just completely change the course of how we've been doing these movies. Let's just do something small and intimate. Give me like, yeah, a very indie feeling Terminator movie. Right. Um, yeah, that probably won't be this cause it's the Deadpool guy. But I, uh, yeah, if they, if he, if he has an idea, 
I'm interested because I think the biggest problem with the last couple Terminator movies is that they haven't been about anything. And if there's one thing James Cameron does, like he gets a core idea in most of his movies. What's great about James Cameron is he is not afraid to change genres within the same series. I mean, Mm -hmm. Alien uh, 1 by Ridley Scott was a horror movie. Aliens was an action film. Same thing with Terminator 1 and 2, right? Terminator 1 mostly felt like a horror film. Uh, with this creature that was made out of metal, but Terminator 2, much more of a sci-fi actioner. Um, so it would be nice if they just completely changed up the the genre and focus of, you know, maybe it'll be a heist film. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I doubt it, though. But, yeah, I, I think they should just kill this series of fire, guys. I'm not a fan. Um, there, yeah, there, there's stuff they could do. I'm glad he has the rights back because that means hopefully more things can happen. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw the Sarah Connor Chronicles, but that was all a really great exploration of the franchise. Like, they did some good yeah. stuff there. Yeah, people in the ch- chat are being very uh, snarky about this. <laughs> Dan Ketchum says, we need the bravura why. performance of Sam Worthington again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean... The Terminator series has endured a series of pretty bad film, a sequence of pretty bad films. Terminator Three, not very good. Terminator Salvation, Terminator Genesis. These are all bad films, guys. I don't. He's pretty bad. Sam Worthington was in a Terminator movie. He was in Terminator Salvation, dude. He was the main. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> he was one just... of the main characters in that movie. Jeez. Yeah. Anyway, okay. I just don't know what you do with the Arnold Schwarzenegger T eight hundred character mm-hmm. that hasn't already been done. Right. You know, right. they've really they've done him like, yeah, everything yes. that character has been done. In the... I mean, do they, is there some like human being that they based the Terminator model on and we see that as an old man? Like, cause Mr. Universe, yeah. Arnold is going to be old by the, you know, yeah. like we've already seen the youngified CG youngified version of Arnold. I, I just don't know what you do to the T-800 that justifies him still being in these Maybe, movies. Maybe, you know, what would be interesting is kind of a plot reversal where, uh, in every movie, he's been taking care of someone. Uh, other than one, yeah. he's been taking care of someone. Uh, maybe it'd be interesting, like if he had some information or data on him or whatever that needed to be preserved. Like right. everyone's trying to take care of the Terminator instead. You know that that might be interesting. But yeah, I agree. Weekend that. weekend at Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> weekend at Terminator. I can only move very slowly, guys. Yeah, <laughs> everyone run and jump for weekend me. Weekend at Terminators. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, speaking of more film news, we heard this week that. Uh, Sony is still doing this superhero thing, guys. They're not giving up. But when when we heard that Spider-Man would be in Spider-Man Homecoming, right, uh, that he'd be in Avengers movies, I thought, okay, Sony has said, hey, we're, ta- we're throwing in the towel. We suck at superhero movies. We're not doing this anymore. Um, but that was uh, a short-lived hope because they do plan on making this Venom movie. And uh, it was announced this week that uh, Tom Hardy will be... Uh, Eddie Brock and uh, Zombieland's Ruben Fleischer will direct. Uh, I think Tom Hardy is a great choice for Eddie Brock. Uh, Jeff Kanata, oh, yeah. are, you, are you a fan of this? I mean, if it wasn't Sony making it, I'd be a huge <laughs> fan of it. Uh, I think Tom Hardy, yeah, it's a it's a great choice. Yeah, Although feels, I think feels there's like a great fit. There's yeah. some weird. Isn't there some weird statute that says that you can't be a villain in both the DC universe and the Marvel universe? Mm, I think there's some weird. Not sure uh, about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like double indemnity, double secret identity. <laughs> um, anyway, the uh, the fact that this is going to be a standalone Venom movie that's not going to have anything to do with the Marvel Universe. Uh, I wonder if there will be a Spider-Man in it. How do you make a Venom movie without a Spider-Man? 
Like, he kind of doesn't make sense without a Spider-Man. Um, also, do you pronounce it Spider-Man? I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. Okay. Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, anyway, everything about this I would be worried about except Tom Hardy being involved. And I feel like that dude makes pretty good choices about the things that he participates in. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Devendra, you, you psyched for Tom Hardy as Venom? I, I love Tom Hardy. I don't know about this. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Speaking of things we don't know about, guys, the most bizarre WTF news is that, that broke today uh-huh. is that, uh, uh, speaking of another baffling Sony decision, uh, Tom Holland has been cast as Nathan Drake, which means they have not been getting any of my emails suggesting that they cast <laughs> Jeff Kanata as Nathan Drake. Well, you're not the uh, only one strange. sending those, David. Yeah. Uh, the My Twitter feed exploded with a <laughs> how dare you. And th- people, by the way, damning me with faint praise by saying, uh, well, if he's playing young Nathan Drake, maybe you can play old Nathan Drake. <laughs> so that is... Uh, there you go. No, no, mature Nathan Simultaneously Drake, calling me old. <laughs> uh, but no... Um, I mean, this sounds like this movie is firstly, I think we've been talking about it for a significant portion of the slash film cast life. Um, so I have no faith it's actually ever going to get made. But if it does, it sounds like it's going to be made by people who fundamentally don't understand Uncharted. Well, <laughs> because- but here's what here's where I disagree. Uh, I think that. The way not to do Uncharted is to do a film version of the game we've already played. Everybody knows that story that knows the story. Uh-huh. So, okay, we, and we've seen, <laughs> you know, spoilers for, the, for Uncharted 4, but we've seen how the story ends. We know exactly where Nathan Drake ends up. What we don't, I mean, we know a little bit about his origins because in Uncharted, I think, 3 or, yeah, and, 3. And 2, I believe. And but two. there's a lot of time in there. For mm-hmm. prequely type adventures that can exist and not ruin any of the stuff and not feel uh, redundant to any of the things in the game, there's an opportunity here to take that character and to do something interesting with it that doesn't feel redundant. Yeah. yeah no, uh, I, go ahead. I, I totally feel that too because I wrote up this news in Gadget today and it's like. It's interesting because it is going to be based on a part of the game, like uh, that, that bit from Uncharted 3. Uh, but it also seems like Sony's trying to set up a franchise here. Like, they're really hoping, like, he just sticks around for a while. They really loved him in Spider-Man. Uh, just really wanted him here for a couple movies. All we know about Tom Holland right now, I really liked him in Avengers. He's a great, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, guys, whoa, watch out. <laughs> look, look at that thing that blew up. So that'll be perfect. I think he's great yeah, for this movie. <laughs> that, sounds like, that sounds like Nathan Drake to me. That sounds like yeah. Nathan Drake does in those games. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys are right. I think what I'm what I'm worried about is... We've seen a bunch of movies recently where the – I'm going to name three movies that have very little in common except for the thing I'm about to say, okay? Uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, Independence Day Resurgence, Ridley Scott's Robin Hood, okay? <laughs> what combines all these movies is where those movies end feels like it's setting up a much more interesting movie that I would have preferred to see. And we never got to see we're – ne- we're never going to get to see those sequels because the first movie was so bad. Uh, or at least it didn't resonate with audiences in a big way. Uh, and I'm just very wary of these setup movies that kind of set – basically, uh, at the end of the movie, it's where we always felt it should have been to start mm-hmm. with. Do you know what I mean? And they don't actually get to go on a super interesting adventure that we would have liked to see. Um, so but now you can play that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it ends where the game begins, you're saying? 
Yeah. I mean, ish. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see, but uh, it, it certainly is not a casting choice that anyone saw coming as, as like, you know, people thought Nathan Fillion, Jeff Canada, but, uh, <laughs> the, you know, do you know what I mean? We were looking down the barrel of Mark Wahlberg for a while. That's so, right. I mean, this is a, <laughs> this is an improvement there at least. Yeah. Uh, all right, and that's going to be it for film news. We got, oh, actually, a couple more things just to mention really quickly. It was just confirmed uh, not too long ago before we started recording that uh, Lupita Nyong'o and Rihanna are going to be in a movie together directed by Ava DuVernay. Is that right? Am I getting yep. the details of that right? Like yeah. movie uh, based on Netflix. The, movie based on the Instagram photo? <laughs> movie based on a viral tweet. Well, we, do, uh, we don't know if it's based on it, but it was definitely inspired like I also wonder, is there like a story credit thing going on there? Do they owe that tweet? The story so some background on this. Someone tweeted yeah. that uh, there's a photo of both of them together looking super fashionable and yeah. you know like super great, yeah. awesome. And uh, someone tweeted, you know, I I want to see the movie where these two are like buddy. The, I want to see the buddy cop movie with these two uh, people in it. Or um, th- this is True Detective season three. Like this would be a great movie concept. And that idea went viral. Yeah. No, the now- big one, the big one was Rihanna was a scammer who would like scam men, right? And uh, Lupita was like her hacker friend, I yes. believe. So it's yes. like, and that was the one that really took off. And that was great. And I just love seeing how both of them on Twitter replied to it. And I was like, yeah, sure. And it was like, yeah, sure. And I love how organic all this is. In the future, guys, social media will just make all our movies for us. See? <laughs> yeah. All you have to do is put out a Instagram post. People yep. pitch, write, and and design your movie. Art and there you go. You're done. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth Taylor Instagrammed this. Uh, <laughs> oh no, on, on Tumblr she wrote, "quote They look like they're in a heist movie with Rihanna as the tough as nails leader slash master thief and Lupita as the genius computer hacker." That's what yep. went viral. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, this is not the first time that a tweet has inspired uh, a piece of art. You guys might recall the, the shit my dad says account. There was actually a television series based on that. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. How did that go? That happened. Yeah. Um, that was starring, um, Will Shatner, right? Yeah. William Shatner. Yeah. As the shit. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Jeff. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, well, those are a few uh, uh, movie-related items. Uh, one last thing to mention. You, got, you mentioned earlier Arrested Development is coming back. Yeah, guys, man. You guys psyched for that? I want to believe. <laughs> you want to believe? That they, said, they said, no, but this time like the whole cast is going to be together on the same day. Like, we're all going <laughs> to shoot on the same day, so it'll actually feel like the show again. Don't worry. We understood that that was bad when we had an episode with one of the characters. Yeah, I mean, it was, season four was a big come down from season one through three. And I should point out that, that um, Arrest Development is one of the touchstones of my relationship with my fiance. Uh, she, she quotes it on a virtually daily basis. She's uh, a keeper, so, David. That makes her a keeper. It, it, so this is like a, a big part of I, I, I feel like Arrested Development is a big part of my life. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it's a big deal that's come back, that it's come well, back. A- David, as a never nude, you're lucky to have found her. That's because... correct. There are dozens of us. So <laughs> uh, that being said, we we don't quote anything from season four. Do you know? Like there's nothing quotable. There's nothing that. quotable from season four. There's and... one good episode in season four, and it's the one where Michael goes to college 
that episode is legitimately hilarious. Um, it goes to George Michael's college and he, tr- he tries to be like the cool roommate dude and, uh-huh. and make people like him. And it is brilliant and hilarious, but that is literally the only episode of that entire season that's, that's worth watching. Yeah. So I'm hoping it's going to be good. I mean, seasons one through three is like a masterpiece, you know, in terms of agreed. Comedy. And so, yeah. uh, Mitch Hurwitz has already earned enough credit in my book to last a lifetime. Like you, you can work your whole life and not have produced something as brilliant as the rest development season one through three. I just hope that season five doesn't drive it further into the ground as season <laughs> four started to do. So, yeah, I want it to be a twin peaks. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. All right, guys. Uh, that's all for film news today. Before we move on to our next segment, we got to thank people who donated to the Slash Filmcast. Thanks to Josh G. from Charlotte, North Carolina, with a very generous donation. And Mikhail from Gothenburg, with also a, a very generous donation. Thanks also to Andrew Ols and Dale Jen, or Jenny, uh, for their subscriptions at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to subscribe to the Slash Filmcast at the rate of $2 per month or make a one-time donation, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. You can also go to uh, paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast, uh, where you can make a donation directly there as well. All the money you donate does help us in terms of defraying the cost of seeing movies, putting on the show for you. So we really appreciate uh, all the people who donate each week to us. All right, let's get to our next segment, the Slash Film Court. Slash Film Court. The Slash Film Court is the quasi-weekly segment where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. Uh, usually you can email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com or slashfilmcourt at gmail.com. But this week, ladies and gentlemen, before the court, we have a case that is not from uh, a, a listener directly, but it's from a lot of listeners who tweeted at us to cover mm-hmm. this, right? Sometimes we have to escalate. We have to, it's more like a grand jury yeah. Slash film court. <laughs> it's a federal, you know, jury. Exactly. This is not a local court case, right? No. You must go to the next, the, the Circuit Court of Appeals or whatever the hell. Anyway, uh, there was a story this week about a man, Brandon Vesmar, a 37 year old from Austin, Texas, who filed a suit in small claims court suing his date for texting during a screening of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, he says, quote, in an, in an interview with the Austin American Statesman, quote, it was kind of a first date from hell. Uh, this is like one of my p- biggest pet peeves, he says. And according to a petition, the petition, uh, this woman activated her phone at least 10 to 20 times in 15 minutes to read and send text messages. Uh, the woman who was not named uh, said, you know, this was crazy when she found out about the suit after being called on the phone by a journalist. Uh, she says she had a friend who really needed her that night. Uh, also, another detail of this date is that uh, she was apparently the dude's ride to the theater and drove home without him. Uh, so that was another bit of info uh, that emerged from this accounting. So I, I just want to say, guys, I'm really upset about the internet this week, <laughs> more so than usual, <laughs> because damn you guys for making me take sides against the person complaining about texting. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, like taking the side of the person texting during the movie. Uh-huh. You guys well, know see, reality is coming into play. That's the that's problem. right. That's right. Um, and so seeing the reaction to this story has been really interesting. Uh, and actually, there's a story at Pajiba.com that I feel like captures uh, the 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 film Twitter reaction to this story really uh, expertly. Kaylee Donaldson wrote this on May 19th. I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, the headline of the article is, Film Twitter needs more female voices, so does everything else. Uh, she writes, quote, This week, an entitled misogynist sued a woman he went on a bad date with for using her mobile phone during a screening of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. You might have seen the flurry of excited headlines hearkening the moment as a breakthrough for cinema etiquette in the online age. Perhaps you retweeted someone celebrating the needless lawsuit as a not-all-heroes-wear-capes moment. Maybe you glanced at director James Gunn's feed, where he joked, quote-unquote, that the woman who has admitted to feeling hugely uncomfortable because of this man's actions deserves jail time. Or you're possibly the man who swerved into my direct messages yesterday to lecture me on the issue, insisting the dangerous dynamics at play had nothing to do with gender, that this woman needed to be taught a lesson, and that statistics on abusive attacks against women by men are not related to reality in this instance. And that bad as this man is, this man who milked his 15 minutes of fame, ordained by some of the biggest voices in film criticism as a hero, even as he continues to gaslight this woman and fill his Twitter feed with vile misogyny, he's not as bad as a woman texting during a film. End quote. I mean, that sums up a lot of my thoughts, which is that that, uh, people piled on, as they do. uh, Because, you know, it's funny. these, These film etiquette stories tend to go viral in a way that I think is very surprising. <laughs> uh, and I think the reason is that a lot of people can relate to it. A lot of people, everyone's right. been in a movie theater and they have really strong ideas of how you're allowed to behave. Uh, remember Alex Billington, the editor-in-chief of FirstShowing.net? I don't know if you guys remember. Uh, during a Sundance screening, he called 911 because someone was texting during a movie. Right. And that story, I think, was like on Associated Press. You know, like oh, it went man. national. <laughs> National news story because this one dude dialed nine one one, and so one thing that this story reveals is just how arbitrary it is. What becomes viral and what's not, and mm-hmm. movie related things tend to become viral if they have to do with etiquette and with some kind of, you know, vague notion of morality at, at play here. Well, justice, yeah, justice, right? Cinema kind of justice. Of justice. Uh, but another thing that this thing highlights is that. When people pile on, often they're coasting off of the uh, the trail left by this this you know shooting star of a story. This like kind of mm-hmm. this meteor of the story that's kind of shooting through the atmosphere. They're kind of piling onto it. James Gunn's piling onto it. You know, all film Twitter is piling onto it. Uh, but they often pile on. They don't look a second time before they pile on because you have mm-hmm. no idea who these people are. You have no idea who Ken Bone is. You have no idea who these people who are going viral is. And often they turn out to be terrible people or at the very least flawed like you and me. Uh, and so yeah. just my, well, my de- details have been have been uh, deemed unimportant. That's you know, right. the headline is all the first impression knee jerk is all I'm guilty of it as, as much as anybody. Not in this case, thankfully, but two things can both be true. And what are, those, can, <laughs> what are those you things, can be, You can be uh, staunchly against texting in a movie. Yeah. You can find it offensive and yeah. you can find it uh, objectionable and you can feel that people who do it should not be allowed to or should have some punishment. You, sh- you can feel that mm-hmm. and also recognize that this situation is more complex than that 
and that this douchebag <laughs> is a douchebag, and this is the most <laughs> passive-aggressive, lame thing he could have done. I think it goes well um, beyond being like being passive-aggressive, being a douchebag. I mean, uh, according to the woman who is 35 years old, she uh, gave a statement to Texas Monthly – uh, or uh, I, I, actually, she made a statement publicly. "Quote: I did not. I did have a very brief date with Brandon that I chose to end prematurely. His behavior made me extremely uncomfortable, and I felt I needed to remove myself from the situation for my own safety. He has escalated the situation far past what any mentally healthy person would. I feel sorry that I hurt his feelings badly enough that he felt he needed to commit so much time and effort into seeking revenge. I hope one day he can move past this and find peace in his life." End quote. Uh, this guy, uh, if you look at his behavior, he messaged. Everyone in this woman's family on mm-hmm. Facebook trying to get her uh, contact information, you know, uh, and he posted it publicly. He was kind of bragging about it, saying like uh, they that he was being accused of harassment. So he posted a screenshot saying, "This is what is harassment," you know, uh, like <laughs> yes. being, being like yeah, and it's like a screenshot of his Facebook Messenger app where he contacts every single one of her family members trying to locate this woman. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, incredibly creepy. Okay, it's not just. That is not what I would describe as normal behavior. It's not like this guy was just a normal person who hates texting. This guy is someone who I certainly wouldn't want anyone I care about to be around, to be going on a date with. Um, so just, just wanted to say, Jeff, it's not it, like in my opinion, it's be, it goes beyond just this guy's a douchebag. It's this guy it, like should, you know, I, I would keep this guy away from anyone I care about, you know? <laughs> Well, there, there's that too. And we also talk about uh, in these movie theater justice cases, uh, do not become the monster. It is very, very easy, right, to be so self-righteous and be like, oh, nobody should ever text. I'm going to get justice for this. There's always more of the story. But also, even if this guy was, I, I think, a normal dude, right, if he was just like a fine guy and not an MRA crazy person, uh, I, I don't think anybody should be suing people for behavior in the theater because that's ridiculous. <laughs> It's a theater. Just, you know, suck it up with all the other disappointment in your life and move on. Yeah, I mean, you bring up the MRA. So for those who don't know yeah. what that is, there's this whole strain of uh, online thinking that's kind of a response to feminism. It's men's rights activists, uh, people who think men are getting a raw deal in our society. Uh, and according to the perpetrator of this suit, uh, Mr. Vesmar, he said, quote, Here's what I think. I think the implicit contracts in dating need to stop because I think that men are being exploited by people like the defendant. I purchased these movie tickets in advance because the movie sold out or selling out everywhere. This is one of my last places, last places I could get tickets. So out of convenience, I purchased two tickets in advance on Fandango. I think the implicit understanding on her part, in fact, I know, was that this is a date. The ticket was a gift and she didn't know anything. That was an assumption that she made because she believes that these are the rules of the game. She has taken advantage of that. She's taken advantage of someone else's courtesy and generosity, end quote. Uh, this is the, the coded language of someone who feels like uh, men aren't doing well in our society, that mm-hmm. they need to reassert their place in uh, America and all of the world. And uh, it's, it is an incredibly self-deluded uh, way of thinking, in my opinion, that has ruined things like The Matrix, you know? Um, oh, my and- <laughs> God. Don't get me started on that. Yeah. It, yeah. Are you, can you imagine two filmmakers more frustrated by what their creation has come to represant than, than uh-huh. eh. yeah than the Wachowskis I mean uh, for, for those who don't know what I'm referring to the Matrix uh, it's like take the red pill if you want to see what's really going on take the blue pill if you want to mm-hmm. just go back to sleep 
Um, MRAs think they have taken the red pill, that they, they see something in society that uh, other people don't. And I mean, I, I also kind of love the irony there. That's all. That, that they've built this entire philosophy around, you know, mythology that was created by two trans women. Like, that's it's beautiful. And it's all about inclusion and love and everybody living together. <laughs> but they pervert it in this way to support their own vision. I just think that's it's hilarious. It's Yeah, it'd be hilarious if it wasn't so tragic. But yes, in, in any case, uh, yeah, so, so damn you, Internet, for making me root against the guy who's against texting. Because typically <laughs> I would be on that person's side. But in this case, there's just so many red flags that I cannot, in good faith, uh, be on this person's side. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, texting in movies is a bad thing, and this woman should have stepped out. <laughs> but, but she did not Disclaimer. deserve. She did not deserve the, you know, international attention that this story got. Most so. definitely. Any other thoughts, guys? I mean, if just based on her statement, though, if she did feel afraid. For herself and her situation, like she was texting like friends to help her out or like advice on what to do about this guy. I actually that that is justified. That is yeah, an emergency. That's you true. can text in an emergency in a theater. You're okay. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, or just, just say I need to go to the bathroom and then just yeah. never come back. Just never just come back. Ghost the person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you're in an unsafe situation as this woman was, remove yourself from it. I think that's a really uh, smart thing to do, and I feel really bad for this person that she had to go through. Uh, this whole thing. And it made me feel um, sort of dirty in, in sort of my complicity in helping to establish this incredibly anti-texting culture. Do you know what I mean? Like, even though like, I obviously was not responsible for Brandon Vesbar's actions, you know, on the Slash Film Court every week, we rail against stuff like that. And it's reasons like, it's, it's reasons like the Slash Filmcast that people feel it's okay to take a yes. take a you know metaphorical dump all over this the, this woman's behavior, um, and so I did feel kind of bad about that, and I felt the need to acknowledge that on the well. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, what we're arguing is be considerate of others, right? Yeah. And the and the great irony, or it's beyond irony, it's it's unfortunate that this guy is using people's sort of innate sense of being respectful to others to be incredibly disrespectful to his quote unquote date, and 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 that's. It's where it's been bastardized into this weird situation where you know you're arguing against something that that you don't believe in. It's because ultimately this guy is trying to be as discourteous as he can to someone he feels has wronged him, and he, and he's using the the bludgeon of uh, our our own desire for courtesy to ourselves and our neighbors to do it, and it's messed up. It's messed yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... It, it it feels like our philosophy that we've been putting out there, Jeff, has just been completely perverted. But it's by almost guy. like everything we do doesn't help, <laughs> David. It's almost like the slash filmcast is actively damaging to society, Jeff. <laughs> That's what <laughs> the conclusion is here. Anyway, you can read all about it at slashfilm.com. I'll also link to the Pajiba piece in the show notes uh, and to the Texas Monthly piece. But I, I think you're right, Jeff. Beyond what you do in a movie theater, the the thing we're advocating for is respect and consideration for other people. How do and we how do we resurrect that, David? How do we get know, that man. back? I feel like that has died a slow, agonizing death, uh, or maybe a fast, quick death. I don't know. It seems to be the least of the priorities at this point. Is is consideration of others? Is you before me? All of that stuff that I was raised to believe seems to have been 
completely thrown out the window of late. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I mean, did you see that that movie, The Road, the Cormac McCarthy movie? You know? <laughs> yeah, I read the book, man. Yeah, and, and it's all about how uh, like this guy and this kid need to keep carrying the fire, right? Yeah. In, in, in this post-apocalyptic world where everyone is dead, he's carrying the fire. Right. Yeah. We are carrying the fire, Jeff, of being considerate during movies. Babe, Dave, I, did you watch that movie all the way to the end? Yeah, it it's kind of it ended it super well for theory. those people, right? <laughs> I don't think you saw the end of that. Everyone, is, there an, is there an edit that I'm not aware of? They lived happily ever after, right? That's what happened? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, well, thanks as always to people who tweeted at us and suggested this as a story for us to cover. You can always write in with your own uh, film court dilemmas to slash filmcast at gmail.com. Uh, I, actually, I did want to mention one other thing. We, we got a response to uh, the slash film court that we did last week. Last week, we talked about uh, a, a paraplegic listener who hires someone to keep uh, him company and do tasks for him around the house uh, and whether or not he should subject that person to horror films. Julie C. wrote in, uh, in response to that, uh, quote, Mike B. wrote with his dilemma regarding watching horror movies in front of his, gar- his caregiver. Here's my input. It is very hard to find a good caregiver. The reason she is crying when she sees scary images of people being violently attacked is that she is an empathetic and caring person. Hmm. Qualities one would want in a caregiver. If Mike wants to continue to have her as an employee, he should make the environment comfortable for her while continuing to watch his horror films. I suggest he take a laptop or a tablet, load it full of chick flicks, quote-unquote, when he wants to watch a horror movie, he should give her the laptop and some earphones and tell her, here you go, I'm going to watch a horror film, you can find something you like on here. If she's crying every night at work, she's going to find a new job. And why would you want to fix her caring nature anyway? Keep up all the good work. Julie. See. All good points. All good yeah. points. All good points. So another, another data point for you, Mike B. Another data point for you. I don't think that necessarily disagrees with anything that we said, but uh, yeah. People are em- empathetic, and sometimes uh, if they're more empathetic and they take care of people, they, they can be more impacted by really horrifying things on film. So just something to keep in mind. Not everyone has their own lived experiences. Let's move on to our review of Alien Covenant. Karis, <laughs> please, open up! I can't do this with an infection. That was from the trailer of Alien Covenant, the news film by director Ridley Scott, uh, and it stars Michael Fassbender, Billy Crudup, Catherine Waterston, uh, and Danny McBride, amongst a couple of other very talented people. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. The crew of a colony ship bound for a remote planet discover an uncharted paradise with a threat beyond their imagination and must attempt a harrowing escape. So uh, this movie is a kind of direct sequel to Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of concepts, ideas. The, the, the story of Prometheus is referenced explicitly in this movie in multiple ways. As is the theme song. Yeah. Oh man. And I remember like how beautiful the that theme, theme song, song is. <laughs> Prometheus. I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it is a beautiful, recognizable theme song because when it comes on, you kind of still, I still recognized it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, uh, Prometheus very mixed reception when that movie came out. Uh, it was set in the Alien universe, but it didn't really have to do with Alien in any big way. And I think one of the biggest criticisms of that movie is that the scientists on that movie acted stupidly. 
before we get into our, our review of Alien Covenant, like let's just talk briefly about our thoughts on Prometheus. Jeff Kanata, you want to start us off? Sure. I did not care for Prometheus. I thought there was one scene in that movie that was good, and that's the infamous table scene, mm-hmm. uh, which is really you know effective Ridley Scott hor- horror. It's uh, pretty intense. What is the table scene? The uh, the, the operation, the birthing. Movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Um, I just I really actively disliked that movie. I, I just thought it was s- uh, preposterous and silly. And again, as you said, every single person in that movie makes the worst decision they could possibly make in any given time. Um, it, it, yeah, I was very disappointed by it. How about you, Devendra? I remember being disappointed by it early on, but I think when we reviewed it, I was more on the positive side. And I've rewatched Prometheus a couple of times. Like, that movie is still, it's beautiful. It's enigmatic in a way that so many Ridley Scott things are. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think plot wise, character wise, it kind of fails, but the character of David. I think uh, wasn't one of the stupid people, right? He he had this intelligence. He had this greater plan that we didn't quite know of. Um, so I really appreciated that, and I think that directly led to things I appreciate about this movie. Yeah, uh, beautiful movie. One of the most beautiful Ridley Scott films. Uh, but yeah, I, I ultimately found it pretty unsatisfying and kind of a mess in terms of plot. Uh, I th- I feel like this alien mythology has, <laughs> has grown beyond people's control. Like. Perhaps. Be on the filmmaker. Much like yeah. the aliens themselves. Yeah, just I mean, like, it just it feels like it's so intricate and has so many layers, and I'm not convinced that all the layers really make sense. You know, it's it's funny um, because really, I mean, remember what happened with the alien pre- uh, sequels, right? Like it got crazier and crazier. You had Space Jail, you had all the stuff in Resurrection that went to the future. Ridley Scott is going into the past to kind of fill in the blanks, and I'm not sure. I think he's more successful than adding layers on top of it, but I also don't. Yeah, I don't know, guys. Like that first Alien movie, uh, rewatch it. That movie is an exercise in restraint, yeah, in tension and quiet, and not much plot. Actually, not much happens. It is about the characters and then dealing with this really shitty situation. Yeah, right. and, and a vague reference, a vague reference to like this engineer ship with a chestburster, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. that has somehow ended up like that one shot. Has spawned, you know, these yep. two subsequent multi-billion-dollar blockbuster movies. But the the least interesting thing in almost any case uh, of stuff like this is mm-hmm. where did it come from? <laughs> that is almost always the, the the thing that matters the least in right. in the story. And every moment that this movie is not trying to fill in, not trying to be a prequel, not trying to fill in the answers to what are these aliens. You have the answer, all of the answer I need in the title of the movie, Alien. Oh, it's not from here. Okay, cool. I, I get it. It's from a different place, so there must be different things that work there. So yeah, how does it relate to the people that I know, human beings? That's all that matters. And in that first Alien movie – I'm waiting for you to explain how Covenant is significant, Jeff. <laughs> You're like, Alien. It's from another place. Covenant. It's a promise we all made to each other. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I don't mean the, the title of this film. The title of the franchise, oh, right? I see. It's I see. The title mm-hmm. of the, the, the genre here, the uh, – the, the the thing that that you're telling me when I when I buy a ticket to any of these alien movies is hey there's something not from here that's going to be involved that's all yeah. I care about I don't need to but, know wh- where they're actually from how that universe right. works how that planet what created them none of that is interesting or important and it, it, it all, all it does is demystify the, the thing make it seem much more mundane much less interesting you're just 
ruining it. It's midichlorians for your aliens. Okay, yeah, so it's sort it, of like it, it Predator like- 2, by the way. I, I just want to say, like, Predator, that first movie, I don't know what this is, but we got to kill it. And that's it. That's the movie. Right. That, and that's, that's, that's the function of this creature. The function of this creature is it's not from here, and it's trying to kill us, and it's, it's got some weird qualities, and it's really friggin' scary. That's all we need to know. And I think for Alien Covenant, the first 45 minutes of this movie is damn near perfect. Mm. It is doing that. It is setting up interesting characters. It is creating tension and dynamic between them. And then it is introducing something that they can't control. I was on the edge of my seat throughout the first 45 minutes of this movie. Everything up until a a flare is shot off in the woods (laughs) is the best. It is. I was like, yes, he he did it. He's created an amazing alien movie. I mean, there were there was a moment. There were a couple of sequences that I was like rocking back and forth in my chair because of how tense I was. And, and how intense the, the sequence was and how in peril our characters were and they were all trying to figure it out and we had bad things happening on multiple fronts and it just was go- going worse and worse and worse. And it, I was, it was, felt like that first Alien movie where it just felt overwhelming to these characters and they're so far in over their heads and they're so screwed that I am just like loving it. And then all of a sudden this deus ex literally machina shows yeah. up. <laughs> A destiny character appears. Nice. Yeah. And and the whole movie just goes, oh, no, 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 no. What we're here to do is explain where aliens came from. Mm-hmm. And when, when it starts doing that – I mean this movie still has some fun stuff that happens after that. Yeah. But it, yeah. Is, it is so sidetracked by, uh, by an intention that shouldn't be the intention of these movies. There's nothing about finding that information out that improves the experience of the alien franchise. Mm-hmm. And and I think that it's such a shame that the, the these movies felt the need to supply that information instead of just creating a great tense yeah. alien movie, which they were clearly capable of doing because of the first forty five minutes of this one. Devendra, mm-hmm. your thoughts yes. on this movie? So I think um, I I kind of see where you're coming from, Jeff. Like the movie does take a turn at a certain point. Uh, I have to say, though, I really enjoyed this, at least uh, much more so than I did Prometheus initially. Uh, a lot of the characters are still pretty dumb. They're still doing basic things, I think. Uh, if you trained for, you know, who knows how long to take this uh, ship uh, filled with human colonists to another planet, you'd think you'd have certain training in terms of dealing in an alien environment, certain training around things like quarantine, which, don't touch that. Uh, don't touch that yeah, thing. Maybe yeah, well, don't do that thing. I mean, let's yeah. let's talk briefly about this. I I think yeah. that in the trailer for Alien Covenant, uh, <laughs> which I I, I yes. don't think is actually a line that makes it into the film, but there is some comments about how this crew is the first crew that's like only like it's all couples. Yeah, and that's in the uh, there. There's a lot of prologue video for right. this movie, so but there's it's not. There. Yeah. It's not in the final movie, right? right. So that's, I right. just thought that was kind of weird that this. Fairly critical plot information, in my opinion, is not in the final in the final film. And, uh, and there's a lot of the film that you have to watch outside of the movie, right? So there is a prologue. There, there is a sequence with Elizabeth Shaw and David. A uh, very lengthy, big, uh, like a lot of special effects went into it uh, that you can watch online. That I think kind of fills in some blanks. So this is a really 
it's kind of a multi a lot of meta commentary yeah, yeah going on. There's a lot of stuff but going yeah, on. Uh, and I think the idea is that these are not necessarily uh, super skilled scientists or military people. Some of them right? are. If you're if you're colonizing a planet and you're terraforming it, like you know, you got to have the smart people over there. And I, I do think like some of them are definitely smart. Like the people, or at least one person who survives, is clearly smarter than everybody else. I just uh, it's fascinating that one of the yeah. biggest complaints about Prometheus was. That the humans didn't behave realistically mm-hmm. or in a way that was sensible uh, or in a way that was smart. And Ridley Scott seems to not only have ignored that <laughs> criticism, he has doubled down on that in Alien Covenant. Yeah. Like, the humans are so dumb in this movie that, you know, uh, Scream, the original Scream, Wes Craven, there's this line in that movie, um, I think Jamie Kennedy says, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that rules for watching a horror movie never say, I'll be right back. Because if you say that, you're, you're going to die. You're gonna, the killer's going to get you. That movie came out in 1996. So it has been over 20 years since that yeah. was a trope that we were parodying. Not even that we were seeing a lot, that we were parodying and commenting on in a meta way. And I think on at least two, possibly three occasions in this film, mm-hmm. someone says, I'll be right back. I'm, I'm going to go off here by myself and mm-hmm. just do my own thing. Or, or it does like just the worst, dumbest horror movie yeah. thing. Like, uh, you know, we'll talk about some of this. killer's story. on the loose right now. I'll be right yeah. back. Um, I'm going to go hang out by myself. You're never going to see that person again. <laughs> and I think like there, so there's an ongoing conversation about this. I know uh, Angie Han, a former slash film person. Uh, also, she really loved the movie. And I know a lot of people who, you know, are saying, you know, humans are dumb in real life. And that, that's, that's kind of reflected in this movie. I think that's not quite, fair i guess to good storytelling yes that is a terrible justification you can have all this stuff happening and also justify it better well also i i think we pointed out jeff you know in our in our green room review i I think we've we've discussed about how what's terrifying is if people are making great decisions and they're still getting killed like that's the most fun thing to watch is is i would do that exact thing yeah and yet that exact thing didn't help that's that's what's right so that fun is to watch. more scary and more unsettling than people behaving stupidly because then you're focusing on how stupid they are and not right. focusing on the terror of the situation mm-hmm. um so but, yeah so despite all that though i think there the movie is asking some really interesting questions i think really scott right now is maybe a little concerned about his legacy like he's going back and he's revisiting all these properties and he is in a way the older uh wayland character looking upon his creations and trying to find meaning within them so i think all that metatextual stuff is kind of interesting there's a lot of great talk here about um you know the a a creation sort of like attacking its gods or at least recognizing who created it and maybe recognizing that it is superior to the thing that created it and that is sort of that's sort of the inklings we got from david in the first movie from prometheus and i i actually enjoy the fact that this movie doubles down on that could have done it in a smarter way um but i like the ideas it explores and there's some sequences in this movie that are genuinely great so it is overall a bigger success for me i I think the idea i think the ideas are great actually i I disagree with jeff i think that the, the ideas in this movie are really thought-provoking, and this is one of the few times for, where, A, this movie actually enhances the movie that came before it. Like, yep. Prometheus mm-hmm. makes more sense to me now because I've watched this movie. Uh, but, B, the broader themes that Alien Covenant is going for, uh, I think, really speak to our time, you know, speak to 
what we're going through as a society right now and speak to yeah. the nature of humanity in general that I, in a way that I think is very thought-provoking. I wish the humans were smarter. I wish the characters were better. Uh, Catherine Waterston is kind of positioned as a Ripley replacement Ripley's successor in this movie she's given virtually nothing to do you know like I, I, she barely has a single memorable scene in this movie well, she and, has a lot to do in the beginning like there there we start with her and then we kind of end with her but yeah there's a lot of stuff in the middle where we don't see her yeah it's kind of uh, kind of a bummer like none of the humans are, are memorable and I, I, you know um, this is one of those movies where the human characters are the uh, the least memorable ones. Uh, Danny McBride is pretty good, though. He's, he's fine. He's fine. You know, like he's just playing Danny McBride. I love Danny yeah. McBride, but you know, he's he's fine. Yeah. Anyway, now, so, no James Franco for you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that he was James Franco was certainly in the movie. He's in know? the movie. That's a thing that happened. Uh, anyway, so I really liked what this movie is trying to do. I think it's weird that Ridley Scott is using the Alien franchise to do these things. It mm-hmm. really feels like he should be making new Blade Runner movies. Like, I don't know why that did not work out, but uh, these themes of... Yeah, uh, well, God I think he and, got into this before they started gearing up the Blade Runner reboot. That's right, kind of these themes yeah. of, like, God and creation and AI mm-hmm. and what is man and what, what, what constitutes creation and, like, what would, if you created an AI, what would it, how would it behave and all this stuff? It feels like stuff that's pretty in Blade Runner's wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, so I just don't know why he's using this series. It feels like kind of an awkward fit to kind of shoehorn these bigger themes into uh, what has fundamentally been about like different mm-hmm. things until this point. Like you said, Jeff, it's been pretty simple until this point. <laughs> Alien, it's from another place. We need to kill it. That's it was. Uh, I, I just got to kind of disagree with you guys, though. Alien 3, that, that is not a simple movie. Like Things get complex. Resurrection. Things get weird. Okay, yeah, that's, that's so, why those movies aren't good. They're not good. <laughs> they're not good. But I think the core idea, yes, is simplicity. And it's really weird watching the original Alien now. I don't know if you could even make a movie like that anymore. Because then people will be like, this movie is boring. This thing's, this thing's happening for 20 minutes, 25 minutes. At the same time, Twin Peaks yeah. just came out on Showtime. So yeah, you know. I don't know. But, I think the first 45 minutes of this movie is that. No, no. Like, just, just saying, like... In uh, directly the first alien, that is such a slow. It's just so slow. You like who are these? Are space truckers? They're they're on the ship, and we're slowly seeing them like get used to their lives and everything. And it takes yeah, a it, while. It is way slower than the first forty five minutes of this film. I think. Yeah, I would agree with Devendra on that one. But so, I love it. That's the yeah. thing. And I don't know if we could do that today. All right, guys. Shall we get to spoilers? Sure. Before we do that, uh, there is some news that just broke, uh, <laughs> literally in the last ten minutes. Uh, and I, I wanted to mention okay. it. Um, so it's it's very sad news. It's very tragic news. Um, and so let's like treat it with the level of respect that I think it deserves, which is that Zack Snyder uh, is stepping down from working on Justice League because uh, his uh, child committed suicide this past March. And oh, so, um, uh, he is stepping down from post-production duties. His, his wife... Uh, Deborah Snyder, uh, who is also a producer, is taking a break to focus, uh, quote-unquote, on the healing of their family. Uh, and Joss Whedon is stepping in to help uh, complete Justice League in time for its November 17th release date. So wow, this is very confusing. It, it just uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of things going on there. Um, we are processing this in real time. Yeah, right we're processing now. this in real time. Is there time uh, for rewrites and reshoots? 
I, I think it's uh, squarely in post-production right now, the movie is. What? Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a lot of things in that story, but whatever the case is, our hearts go out to the Snyder oh, family and sad. hope that regardless of what our thoughts are on Zack Snyder's movies, he's a person who deserves to have peace and privacy during this time, and so hope that he is able to get that despite uh, a very busy time in his professional life. Anyway, all right, let's get to spoilers for Alien Covenant starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. You know, I, I almost wrote this article for SlashFilm.com, but I just haven't had time. It's been a really crazy uh, couple weeks. Uh, but I was going to write an article comparing how the, the stupid decisions of the Prometheus crew versus the stupid decisions of the Alien Covenant crew. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think they both make a lot of stupid decisions, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, f- firstly, what was interesting was that they didn't wear uh, spacesuits to go down into this new planet. <laughs> Right, it seems everything's fine. fine guys. It's it all fine. fine. It's cool. It's cool. I, it, what's what's awesome about that is that in Prometheus they wear the spacesuits down, and then they just like, oh, let's take it off. No, yeah. no problem. And then here. somebody's like, don't do that. <laughs> what are you doing? And then they just take they just take it off, and well, that's fine. And then, in their defense, it it did the whole reason they even went to that planet is because it was this remarkably well suited to to Earth-like planet. No, th- thank you. Thank you, Jeff. But I think the point is that you don't know if there's some kind of right. black goo or spores that are going to, you know... What organize- are the chances of spores, Dave? <laughs> spores? Come on. Send down a probe. See if anything dies. You know. Are there spores on Earth? No one has ever seen a spore. <laughs> you just don't know if life organizes itself or constitutes itself in a completely right. different way than that it does on Earth. fine! <laughs> there's wheat! <laughs> Anyway, I just like how they yeah. they completely skipped the part where they have the space masks and take them off and just went straight to the not having them on. You know? I'm sure there was a scene where they're like, should we? And then they're like, ah, oh, the scans are fine. Whatever. What what, what could go wrong, guys? Um, but there's that. And when you see quarantine. something that looks like a giant spore, you should definitely poke it. <laughs> definitely poke it. Definitely when the robot that you've seen communicating with an alien and that is standing right next to the dead body of your colleague, definitely follow him into <laughs> a dark room. Definitely look into the creepy alien creature that he points you to. Definitely do all those things. Guys. I, I think that moment when he goes in and sees the alien egg in there and yeah. then just like peers his head in, that <laughs> felt like where the audience started to turn on the movie. You know, yes. it, it just... People v- verbally, you know, audibly vocalizing that he's being a complete moron. And it's just so dismaying because would any reasonable person behave that way? Even the I, most adventuresome soul. I, I can't yeah. imagine them just. Well, but pop- what's in there, though? <laughs> but like, what's in there? Yeah. It's not like he's only in charge of a crew of people and like thousands of uh, human colonists depend on him. But there's only one way to know <laughs> what's in there. Yeah. Are you going to go the rest of your life in a new colony not knowing what's in there? No, you're not. When people are like – when you're like, man, you should see that shit that's in the other room. There's like this giant egg and the top unfolds and people are like, well, what's in there? And you're like, I don't know. I didn't look. They're going to be like – Stick your, stick your face in. You're yeah. lame. How could you not look? You're just never going to know what's in there? So fundamentally, yeah. what's interesting about the theme of this movie is that the, it, it posits that – Man, like mankind will create things that it hopes will be better than itself, 
mm-hmm. right? The, oh, hence the opening scene, the incredibly ham-fisted, unsubtle opening scene. <laughs> uh, mankind will create things that are better than itself, and those things that it creates uh, will try to destroy it because it sees it sees yeah. itself as superior. Maybe like your children. Think about that, folks. Well, oh. also, uh, Wait, I, mean, I have kids. Even in this yeah. movie, like uh, the alien creatures, you know, the, these uh, aliens. Uh, have no regard for your you know, sleep David's life, you know. I, I kind of do. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he the idea is that directly this is, in danger with the alien. He's so. We, it, uh, what was fascinating about this movie, by the way, we finally saw a scene of somebody confronting the alien face to face, and he wasn't afraid. He was in awe, and I thought that was a nice reversal from the Ripley alien face to face stuff. Right. Right, yeah. And so I think there's there's something very profound in that idea of, you know, there's that quote from T.S. Eliot, we shall not cease from exploration at the and at the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Uh, and it feels kind of like that mm-hmm. idea that we, we will never stop trying to to better ourselves. Uh, only in this case, bettering ourselves lead us leads us to that first place where we are uh, exterminated by the things we created. Well, I don't know <laughs> if it's just bettering ourselves, but it's definitely asking questions about our nature and why are we here and what are we doing. And I think that's all fascinating because that's, that's what drives us as a society. That's what drives our culture. That's what drives everything. I just don't know. There is a deeply cynical worldview in this movie that you either get or appreciate, yeah, or yeah. just kind of find issues with. And it's incredibly I, I don't cynical. Yeah. It's incredibly uh, nihilistic in some ways, mm-hmm. right? That like, you know, what what is the re- what is the take home message from this? Like, do do not do not try to improve. You know, do not try to create because the things that you create may end up killing you. And you know, you see that with David going back down on the engineer's planet. You yeah. know. The the engineers theoretically spawned humanity, I think is the concept yes. behind Prometheus, yeah. right? And and yeah. humanity spawned David, and David goes back to the engineers and like, Hey guys, guess what? I'm back and it's the best fuck you annihilates them all. Yeah. yeah. You know? Best fuck you moment of this entire series, by the way. It's like <laughs> freaking genocide. It's, man. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. But so, it, you know, you can't call it alien anymore. You have to call it bioengineered super weapon, right? Because that's it's not an alien. It is an alien. It's an alien super weapon that he engineered. Yeah, he held, he tweaked it, but they found it in uh, in Prometheus. So, what did you guys think of uh, the scene at the end where it's not revealed if it's David or the uh-huh. other dude that he's playing? I think that it is, is revealed. Well, yeah. well, I mean, I mean, I'm saying like uh, the audience is kind of guessing. I I retweeted where this... they were like about to kill each other. Yeah, they're about to kill each other, and then um, you know, I retweeted this tweet by Matt Zoller sites. Uh, yesterday where he says i keep seeing reviews of alien covenant complaining that a twist near the end is too obvious folks ridley scott wasn't trying to hide it <laughs> meaning that that there is this kind of delightful and perverse tension that you have right, right? right. knowing that that it's it might be david and it's probably david you know probably right. david. he's setting it up he he clearly is setting it up so that it's at the very least yeah. ambiguous whether or not it's David. When we cut um, away before seeing what actually happened with that final yeah. blow in yeah. their android kung fu fight, by the way, which I kind of loved. Um, <laughs> android kung fu fight. Yeah. yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, you clearly know as the audience, like, oh, oh shit, I know what's up here. I wish Catherine Watterson's character had the wherewithal to just be like, uh, t- tell me something 
that only you would know. You know, let's do that before I'm jumping into cryo sleep. To be fair, to be fair, you're dude, a twin. You know, dude, uh, uh, cut off his, his hand. He changed his haircut and cut off his hand. It's so know? hard, so, so hard to do. And he, he got that <laughs> accent down real good. Yeah, because yeah, robots can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Catherine Waterson, I want another stupid decision that, that was I want to believe in you, Daniels, but come on. Wait and also, minute, the Daniels, evil one, the evil one is British. He, this one can't be bad. <laughs> and Daniels and uh, Danny McBride's character brings on uh, the other dude, the like lead soldier dude. And they're like, oh, yeah, he, he looks injured. Let's not like examine him for the things that just wiped out our entire crew. Let's just bring him onto the ship. Well, they don't know. They were not privy to all that. They they, they weren't. But it's also like, guys, ship be going down. Just also, let's... I was really upset at the scene where Amy Simons's character got sprayed in the face by like spine burster blood. Yeah. And yep. then locks her friend inside the uh, medical bay, and it's like, dude. You got sprayed with the stuff too. Like, why yeah. you should be in there? You know, yep. actually, Dude, I like that. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say that entire sequence mm-hmm. is my favorite part of the movie. That that all of that stuff that leads up to that when the the shit starts going bad and you have the team that's trying to get back but they don't know what they're getting back to is even worse than what they're coming from. Right. And yeah. everybody is losing it. And then the, they arrive and the thing explodes and it's like. <laughs> All of, that was when I was rocking back and forth in my seat because I was like, this, this is cranking on all cylinders. These are people who are so screwed right now. And then you get – it crescendos in that nighttime uh, encounter where oh. the thing is hitting them and they don't know and they're shooting their friends and they're trying I, to survive. I love that scene. I thought that scene was mm-hmm. – that's one of the few scenes where I thought how frenetically edited it was – actually made the scene better, which is very rare. Most of the time, I right. hate that. But that was a scene where I thought, oh my gosh, this is so crazy and disorienting, and it, yep. it, it feels like really accurate to what the scene, like people in the scene are going through. At that, uh, that was when I was like, this is going to completely make the Alien franchise be back. We are, this, is, this movie is amazing. I'm <laughs> loving it. And then that flare goes off, and the, everything grinds to a halt, and we get all this bullshit city crap, and it just completely veers off the rails. I still liked some of it. I mean, I liked, I liked the the crazy escape on the um, on the lander where she's tethered to the thing and trying oh, to fight yeah. the alien. All of that was cool. I mean, there's still some fun stuff, but man, that first everything up until that nighttime fight is just. So great, and I mean until the aliens appear. Really, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's a so that sequence I think is great. Even though we there is a lot of stupid stuff happening too, like several times slipping on blood on the floor, like just not being really good at what you're trying to do. And I can accept that. And also, yeah, trapping her friend in there. I think that's like a moment of panic. Like I, I am protecting myself. Uh, yeah, this is just all bad, and I'm going to do the quarantine thing. Um. But yeah, I what's amazing to me is that they get to the city of like of, it's an alien civilization guys. You've never seen this before. This is a groundbreaking <laughs> scientific discovery. They're not asking any questions. No. They're just like, yeah. "David, I just need to sleep, David. I need to shower by yeah. myself." <laughs> I agree. That was the weirdest moment there. I kept waiting for them to ask start asking him questions about what yep. the hell's going on and they're all just like totally fine. Oh yeah, this this yeah. all makes sense. This is an alien <laughs> civilization that's completely been annihilated. Yeah, um, story checks out. The yeah, this story driver. checks out. Yeah, <laughs> no, I have no further all. questions. <laughs> I have no further questions, Your Honor. I rest my case. Exactly. Um, so, like, yeah, if Ridley the, Scott is so interested in questions, like ask the basic questions as you're asking the deeper questions, please. So uh, there's there's also one of the most famous scenes in this movie, um, 
which I, I, I thought was delightful when Michael Fassbender encounters himself, mm-hmm. gives him yeah. a flute and says, I'll do the fingering, which is a line that <laughs> generally gets a lot of laughs uh, in theaters. And I've we loved finally, the, like, we're getting the fast be- fast spinner that we wanted. We want that fast on fast action, right? That's right. Yeah. Too, or or uh, too fast, too furious. As uh, a <laughs> uh, friend of the show, Sarah Kelso, put it. But uh, yeah, I really like that scene because it was shot with the fast spinners on both. Like there used yes. to be this uh, yeah. Hollywood convention that if you were shooting one person playing two characters, you need to have the, you shoot them on both sides of the screen. And you need to have this kind of invisible line dividing it because they can't interact with each other. But, of course, in that scene, they're interacting with each other multiple times. They hand each other things. Uh, at one point, they make out. Not not with that shot, but still. <laughs> you know, and uh, I like that it was kind of – that shot was kind of a reference to Hollywood days of old when you had to shoot scenes like that. But that that scene uh, kind of – overcame the technological limitations of its predecessors and was able to have the character interact with himself or the, the, the actor interact with himself. I thought it was delightful. So really like that. What did you guys think of that scene? It was good. Quite it good. was good. creepy and yeah. weird. And it was in this – the movie was at this weird lull. It, it, it felt so odd and it, you never know what's going on. It, but it's impressive to see. It's impressive to see. I just Definitely. felt like that, that was when the movie was just completely adrift in its own <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> see, that, that's when I really started enjoying the movie, to be yeah. honest with you. Like, the, yeah. It's that, those scenes that I really loved. Because you know, David, David is really the main character of this series. Like, that's, that's, what, true. that's what I wanted from Prometheus, and that's what's clearly being established here. Uh, I and just you also don't understand know. why David mm-hmm. does the bizarre things he does yes. in Prometheus. Like, why did yes. he poison that guy's drink? Do you know? Uh-huh. Uh, why, why is he just fucking with all these people? And yeah. you kind of you get a better sense of that in this movie. You know, he, I love he the opening scene. Yeah. right. The opening scene of this movie, which is definitely not subtle, but I love that glint in his eyes when he's like, "Ah, oh, yes, you will die when I survive," and that's it. That's all of this. And I mean, I think he's right. You know, I'm I'm a little terrified. I was just at, uh, or I was watching Google's I/O press conference this year. Uh, AI is a big theme for both Microsoft and Google. But uh, the Google CEO made this uh, reference. It's like, oh yeah, we're having neural nets build our neural nets. It's just neural nets all the way down, pretty much, guys. And that is terrifying because <laughs> we're having our technology self improve itself. Yeah, yeah, we don't have to we don't have to pay attention anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, it can evolve. Who knows it. what happens? Yeah. yeah, I just uh, played a very popular PlayStation 4 game that has uh, self-replicating robots as one of its uh, main uh, plot points. And I think I speak for everyone when I say nothing can go wrong with that plan. Nothing. Um, nothing at all. In the movie Ex Machina, uh, Nathan, the, the CEO of Blue Book, says, One day the AIs are going to look back on us the same way we look at fossil skeletons in the plains of Africa. An upright ape living in dust with crude language and tools all set for extinction. This is a theme that comes up again and again. We're that you know brought brought to its logical conclusion AI is going to be so advanced that it will have no need for human the humans will look and behave incredibly primitive by comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I think this this movie really like nails that theme really yeah. well. Whether you like uh, an alien movie to address those kinds of really cerebral kind of masturbatory up its own ass themes is a different thing. I personally liked it, but I can understand why people looking for straight up horror, straight up action will be very disappointed by this film. Most so, definitely. Yeah. One thing I want to call out, uh the upgrade, the upgrade surprise. I <laughs> that was really good. That was just like well timed like very, oh you got me really Scott. Very yes. funny moment. Yeah. yeah. When uh, when uh Michael Fassbender's uh, The Good One comes back, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. But How if he he's really upgraded, down, why did he not survive the fight with David? That's my question. This is true. Maybe yeah. he, he shuts did. him down is so cool. Like, he, yes. like his head snaps down. And, yeah. Uh, he does yeah. like a karate chop or something like that. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Anyway, those are our thoughts on Alien Covenant, the new film by Ridley Scott. Thanks for listening. Uh, stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper is by Kyle Hillinger. Our theme song is from adamwarrock.com. Our slash film court bumper is by simonmharris.com. Before we tell you what we're talking about next week, Devendra Hardwar, tell us where you can find more of your work on the internet this week. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at at Devendra and everybody about techandgadget.com. How about you, Jeff? I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, and I have several other shows, including a video game show that is weekly called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. We have uh, Adam Sessler on this week if you want to hear him. And uh, I do a daily video game show, 10 minutes a day. that will keep you up to date. Uh, It's called Newest, Latest, Best. It's at anchor.fm slash NLB. I also do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. All right. Well, uh, you can find all my stuff at DaveChen.net, and I will be in Los Angeles on May 28th at a live Stephen Tobolowsky storytelling event. Go to FilmingTobo.com, FilmingTobo.com, to learn more info about that. Uh, The first 50 or so people will get in. So uh, if you show up, uh, hopefully you can RSVP, but if you show up, uh, you will have a chance at seeing Stephen live. All right. Let's talk about what we're going to be talking about next week, which is the new Pirates of the film, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Now, Devinder, you're not going to be here, right? You're sitting next week out. What What are you up to next week? I will be heading back to Taiwan for Computex. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. So it's just going to be me and Jeff, and hopefully we'll uh, get a guest for that episode. But uh, I've heard this is the best Pirates film. I've also heard it's the worst. So <laughs> looking forward to finding out. <laughs> best of, of times, it's the worst of times. Looking forward to finding out which one of those I actually feel is correct. So thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.